morning, Living Stones. Welcome this morning. Uh, this morning, we finish up our sermon series, Scary Close. And the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been looking at authentic, real relationships. Uh, we talked about how we are created to be in relationship with each other, relationships that are risky, and they're scary, and they're messy, but we dive into those relationships because the benefits far outweigh all of the things that we think about that could be negative. And we've also talked about how in community, we bring strength to each other. We bring the presence of Jesus into each other's lives, and we do that uh, through our small groups here at Living Stones, through church relationships, within families, all kinds of other situations that are community for us, that are family for us, we need to be connected in those areas. We cannot live life without one another. We don't hide away. Ultimately, we show each other a representation of Jesus Christ. I see Jesus in you. You see Jesus in me. And as I submit to the Holy Spirit, he makes his home in me, and I bring his presence into every room that I enter. What a week. What a week this has been uh, in my life. You probably have lists like I do at times. Uh, leaky faucets that break down ceilings into another room. And as many of you know, we, uh, my wife and I own a house in Mishawaka, three-story house, all kinds of apartments. We have students that live in there. We've, we've just moved out one, and we've moved in three. And uh, it's just been a crazy week. My wife uh, had hernia surgery on Monday, so she's she's not even going to be able to be here this morning because she's hopped up on all kinds of pain medications and things like that. When she's done, you know, she may need to borrow some from you. I don't know. (laughs) Saturday, uh, we went to bed, and uh, I went uh, had an opportunity to speak at uh, the first church that I uh, was a part of in Battle Creek, Michigan, right after Bible College. And so it was going to be a little bit of a drive on Sunday morning. So we went to bed a little early, maybe about 10.30 or so. And about midnight, uh, we hear the doors open to the front of the house and, and slam and, and laughter, probably a little bit more than we're used to because we've learned to drown out all of, all of those things. But a couple of the girls came into the house, and they, and they literally just started screaming at the top of their lungs. What a way to be woken up to. And finally, they had come into our, our space and <laughs> knocked on our door, our bedroom door at midnight. And they're like, lol, there's a bat in the house. I hate bats. A couple of weeks ago, I told you how much I hate heights. I hate bats that much more. And so it just startled me. I mean, it was one of those nights where, you know, you, you, just, you just enter into sleep and the dream starts and somebody pulls the plug. That's the worst. So I go out. I, it's okay, wait a minute. Let me get some clothes on because this, we're talking about scary clothes. So it's going to get really scary and close if I come out like I was in bed. So I put some clothes, hurry, I'll put some clothes on, hurry up, go outside. And I'm rummaging through the junk drawers in the kitchen because I know I'm going to need a flashlight up there. And every stinking flashlight that I picked up, guess what? Batteries are dead. Batteries are dead. So I'm up there in the hallway, I've got my iPhone out, swiped up, put up the the light. You know how hard it is to swing a broom at a bat with an iPhone flashlight. It's terrible. So finally, I get the bat. I I really tried to be humane. 
I opened up the window, and I'm trying to coerce this bat outside the house, and it wouldn't go. And finally, I think I wore it out, and he wore me out, and uh, yeah, it's gone. We had a funeral later. Um, But it was hard for me at that midnight hour to be Christ-like, to be pleasant, to hold my tongue. And so these two young girls who we love, they're like daughters to us in our home, are experiencing this with me, and I'm trying to be like Christ in that moment. I know I wasn't. I know I was impatient. I know I, you, know, you just woke me up out of my dream. It's a challenge sometimes to love others around us, isn't it? Our, our lives, uh, we, circumstances just come into our lives and they shake us up. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul will say this, Be wise in, in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. <laughs> what an opportunity that was. Paul will say in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, Now about your love for one another, do not, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And we've been talking about that, how, it, how that reflects within Christian community. And it's, then he goes on to say, And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. It's evident in your life. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make your ambition uh, to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life, listen to this, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Have you ever wondered what people really hear when you speak? I mean, like even right now I'm doing that as I'm, as I'm preaching to you. Do you really, what do you hear when I speak to you? I, I've never thought about that quite like that before until just recently. Just thinking about the way that I live, the way that I present myself, the, the way that I speak, the way that I act, How do you feel about me? What are you really hearing? And I, when you speak to me, I hear certain things and the way that you act, your body language and all of those things. I wonder how we would respond if we had that kind of insight about other people, particularly outsiders. What do they hear? What do they see? And how precious that information would be for us as a church if we understood how our neighbors felt about us. What is our language like? What do they hear from us? I want to read a story uh, that might provide, I think, maybe a little bit of helpful insight for us. Uh, The book that I'm going to read from is called Stronger, and it's written by Jim Daly, who is the the president of Focus on the Family. And he writes this. Several years ago, when I served in the International Division of Focus on the Family, I was in Beijing to explore opportunities to expand our work in China. It was the end of my stay, and as I was saying goodbye at the airport to a kind Chinese missionary couple who had hosted me for part of my trip. I started to move toward the line to board my plane when the husband, an earnest man in his 30s, said, we'll be praying for you. And we've all said that from time to time when we're departing somebody. I'll pray for you. I say that. Normally, my response to a message like that would be, and I'll pray for you too, right? It's almost like a greeting. Goodbye, have a good day. And I would mean it. But for some reason on this day, the Lord prompted me to say something different. 
I stopped, shifted the bag on my shoulder, and asked, how do you pray for me? Can you imagine that? If you say, I'm going to pray for you, and then somebody says, well, how do you pray? Boy, you better be, you better be a prayer warrior. If you're going to say you're going to pray, you better pray, because that question might come back at you. And the husband hesitated, glanced at his wife, and then turned back to me. And I could see he was struggling to find the right words to answer me. Well, he finally said, we are praying for the church in America to get more persecution. And he smiled to show that he meant no offense at this. You see, we see you as rather weak. Talk about perspective. To understand how other people see you as a, as a, a person of faith, a follower of Jesus Christ, or even the church in the world to say, we see you as rather weak. On my flight home, I had many hours to think about this man's statement. He, and obviously others, the viewing the United States from the outside, believes that we in the U.S. church are weak, no doubt, in both our faith and our deeds. To counter our weakness, we need strength. And their solution to give us that strength is to pray for persecution to land on our doorstep. And finally he says, that's not what our prayers are usually about, I thought. We pray for the gospel to reach far and wide. We ask for protection for our families and our loved ones. We seek deliverance from trials. And yes, we ask God for strength to get through the hard times. But pray for persecution. It's all kind of strange. It almost sounds very sadistic. To pray for persecution. And of course, we don't even come close to understanding what persecution is like here in the United States. We've, we've, we've explored that in the past here, and I don't, we don't. We really don't understand what that means. And yet, we do face challenges. We face trials. We've, we face hurt and pain within our lives. You've probably brought some to the table, as well as I, this morning. And we can leave them here uh, at the altar for Jesus today. And even in the American church, it can be very easy for us to hide back in our pews and our church activities and become completely cut off from our neighbors. Because of our fear of change and the unknown, we begin to look at the world. We look at other religions. We look at our government. We look at higher education. We even look at our neighbors as the enemy. And we seek protection from the enemy. And it's easier for us to hide away, but when we do, we lose our focus. We forget our mission and our purpose. Now, let's speak to living stones. What's our mission? What's our purpose? You've heard it said many, many times, so I, I, went, I went and got the official purpose statement online. It's there. You can find it. We are ambassadors of Christ demonstrating the kingdom of God where we find ourselves. But specifically, concentrating our collective energies within the context of the south side of South Bend. We will do this through the pursuit of intentional relationships established by the Spirit of God through prayer, service, and invitation to follow Jesus. With all who accept this invitation, we will pursue spiritual transformation as disciples of Jesus in the context of community at every level, but especially in small groups. 
Then we will repeat this process by establishing other communities with like vision in other parts of South Bend, Michiana, and throughout the world. I believe in that. Do you believe in that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Can we have authentic, real relationships with outsiders? And if we can, what does that look like? It's in these difficult times when we may see, it may seem hard to be a Jesus follower in this world. We can come close. We can even scary close with other people around us. And the Apostle Peter wrote a letter to the early church that was facing real persecution. It was eminent. It was right at their doorstep, and he wrote a letter to encourage them. And in it, he shows us how we can build these kinds of close relationships that will bring the kingdom of, of, the king, of king Jesus into the world. First, our response must be hope in the midst of persecution. Hope in the midst of trials. Hope in the midst of hardship, whatever that might be. So let's look at the text here. First, Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 begins like this. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I so appreciate Denise's prayer during communion this morning because it almost said those exact kinds of words. That we would be that we would be followers of King Jesus, and that our lives would reflect that change. Our lives would reflect that transformation. We love God. And he begins that text by saying, finally. In other words, throughout the, the very first part of that letter, he's talking to this church who he's saying, oh, you're going to face persecution. It's eminent. It's coming to you. And I've given you some instructions on the way that you should live within your family and the church. But finally this, listen to this. I've given you instructions on how to live in the face of what's coming. But here's the foundation. Here's where to start. Love God. And that love that we have for God is, is directly attached to our identity in Christ. And I spoke about that a couple weeks ago. The whole of human relationships is summed up in love fulfilled in our lives. In other words, if Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I have the Holy Spirit in my life, my life is going to be transformed. I'm going to look like him and my identity is attached to who he is. So now I begin to look like him. And secondly, he says, love your enemies. And that's, that's strange. It's like praying for persecution. It's, a, it's easy for us to love other people within our family. Sometimes. <laughs> it's, easy, it's, it's, it's easy for us to love other people in the church. Sometimes. But really, if you think about it, we'd rather be here than we would rather be with strangers, wouldn't we? Because this is comfort. We... We obviously don't repay evil for good. That's just satanic. But sometimes we look to repay good for good and evil for evil. We call that justice, right? We call that fair. 
But Jesus teaches us to do something completely different. He teaches us to repay good for evil. Now that's divine. And that's the mercy that he desires for us to express in our lives. Matthew 5, verses 9 through 11, is from the Beatitudes. And Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We inherit a blessing today when we treat our enemies with love and mercy. By sharing a blessing with them, we receive a blessing ourselves. It's easy for us to love people that are lovable. But that those that are unlovable, for those that are strange, for those that we don't know, if we reach out with a blessing, then it's returned tenfold. So for each of us, trials, persecution can be a time of spiritual enrichment. Love life. In the face of persecution, we should not give up on life. Don't shrink back. Don't hide away. And as we face difficulty in this world, we live out hope. Secondly, we practice the lordship of Christ. Peter will further go on and say, starting at verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? You want to do good. You're excited to do good. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not... Fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. In this passage, Peter will quote from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 13 and 14 reads this. The Lord Almighty is, with, is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place, for both Israel and Judah will be the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Isaiah is writing this during the time of King Ahaz. And the setting of Isaiah's quotation here is significant. He is the king of Judah. And we, we learned just a few weeks ago when, we, uh, when Sam was preaching through uh, the series on Ruth that the, the northern kingdoms were Israel. And the southern kingdoms, the two tribes, were Judah. Ahaz was the king of Judah. And during this time, <clears throat> the kings of Israel, which were all evil, and Syria wanted Ahaz to join them in this alliance against Assyria. Another evil kingdom. Ahaz refused. So Israel and Syria threatened to invade Judah to kind of force their hands. But behind the scenes, Ahaz confederated himself with Assyria. And so the prophet Isaiah warned him against ungodly alliances and urged him to trust in God for deliverance. Sometimes we manipulate, we try to manipulate the situation so that we can get what we want, so that we can get what we think is best. And that's exactly what Ahaz tried to do. He forgot about making 
the Lord number one, and he relied on his own efforts. And as Christians, we are faced with crisis over and over again. And we are tempted to give in to our fears and make wrong decisions. But if we sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, we need never fear men or circumstances. True, our enemies may hurt us, but they cannot harm us. Only we can harm ourselves if we fail to trust God. So instead of of experiencing fear as we face an enemy, we are experiencing blessing. And with every crisis, Peter is saying, every crisis that you have, it is an opportunity to give an answer, to be a witness. Another translation will read, to give a defense. What answer is it that we give? What answer do we give people when we live our lives in a way where we're not combating evil with evil, but rather with good? Every Christian should be able to give a defense of this hope in Christ, especially in hopeless situations. And a crisis creates an opportunity for witness when a believer behaves with faith and hope because the unbelievers will sit there and take up notice. An opportunity uh, just a few weeks ago to go to Evansville, University of Evansville, and uh, I met my friend who is uh, Mark Whited, who is the campus minister at UE. And uh, he gave me a tour of uh, the University of Evansville campus. It's been there for many years. It has loose attachments to the Methodist church. And so they have a chapel building on campus. And all of the different uh, religious organizations on the campus meet here at the chapel. They have, uh, they have the one main area and then just several rooms. And uh, uh, Student Christian Fellowship on UE has uh, this basement area that is theirs, and they use it for worship, and they use it for study, and they use it for fellowship. And so we went down to the room, and we prayed over the room. And as we're sitting there, he was explaining to me that through, through the door and on the other side of the room are another set of double doors. And through those double doors is the Muslim prayer chapel. I thought that was interesting. That as a Muslim, that every time you go to pray, you have to walk to the basement of this chapel and walk through a room that has been covered in prayer, has been used as an opportunity to worship the one God. And these Muslim students have been prayed for over and over again. So they walk across the room where Jesus is has been made number one. Now that might sound insignificant. But what would it be like if we did those kind of things as well? The outsiders aren't necessarily walking through this building. But they are walking the streets. And they are walking in our workplaces. And they are walking in our schools. And if those places are bathed with prayer, they walk across the room where we have been. And perhaps there will be times and opportunities where we will have a divine appointment with an individual and we'll have an opportunity to show them the love of Jesus. What answer are we to give? Let me open up a can of worms. Or maybe a hornet's nest. What is more important? That America be restored or that God would be present. We pray, God, come back to America. And I think he answers that all the time. I think he says, yes, I will restore America back to me. 
And this is how I'm going to do it. And it seems harder and harder to us over and over again because we see where maybe our rights or our opportunities may be eroded away. And God is saying, here is the way that I'm going to do it. It's going to be through trial. It's going to be through seeming persecution. I am going to give you the opportunity to be the light of my light into the world. I believe that atheism is on the rise in America because God's presence has been removed from our colleges and our high school campuses. Not because prayer has been removed from the school, but we don't encourage students to go onto their campus and be the light of Jesus. I believe that his presence has been removed from the campuses and the world because the church as a whole does not pursue, model, and teach intimacy with Jesus. Therefore, we do not reflect the image of the Creator where we are meant to reflect it into the world. Stand up. <laughs> I had uh, impact had an opportunity every year. Uh, we, we table at all of the, Bible, all of the colleges, rather, uh, Bethel and IUSB, we hand out information about our ministry. We hand out, we hand out gift bags. We have, I should have brought one with me this morning. It's a string bag. We put, we put mac and cheese, ramen noodles, laundry soap, peanut butter into the bags and an information about our ministry, and we hand it out on campus. And so every year we, have, uh, we go to the faith fair at the grad student housing at the University of Notre Dame. And so we hand out these bags, and, and I would say 50% or more of the grad students that go to the University of Notre Dame are international students. And, um, and they come up to me, and I shake their hand, and I would ask them what their name is, and they say, I don't, and, and it's usually something I can't pronounce back to them, and I feel so silly. I feel so ridiculous. But you would see, the, I, one of the things I noticed this year is they, what's in the bag? And they open it up, and they just start laughing. Because who gives out ramen noodles, mac and cheese, peanut butter, and laundry soap? And they love it. They love it. Simple things done in love and in kindness opens up an opportunity that you wouldn't believe. Did you know that 80% of international students never see the inside of an American home? And they long to. They long to. They want to experience everything about our culture. Maybe this question will help you. When was the last time that you had someone who was not a believer into your home? You invited them to your table. They're not the people that you normally have in your home to sit down and have a meal, but they're, they're the ones where you don't know a whole lot about them. And in that, we live life out loud. Listen to Jesus' words here in Luke 14. This hit me square in the head this week. When he noticed how the guests, Luke 14, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the hosts who invited both you, both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? Then humiliated, you will have to take the least place of importance. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, friend. Move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. 
if you do, they might invite you back, and so you will be repaid. I mean, you've been in situations like that before. Somebody gives you a gift. Oh, you didn't have to do that. And then you feel obligated to give them a gift. But what would it be like if you gave a gift to somebody and you knew they wouldn't give it back? They might not even say thank you. What would that be like? Jesus goes on to say, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Wow. I don't know that I need to make a whole lot of commentary on that, except open up your home. Open up your heart. When facing trials, we live in hope. We bring the lordship of Jesus into the world and we live out loud. And lastly, Peter exhorts us, he encourages us to maintain a good conscience. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Your conscience, the way that you feel about yourself, It's a window, really, into your heart and what's going on in there. It is a window that lets the light of God's truth come in. And the way we live can disturb that peace, can corrupt it. We can have a defiled conscience, which it becomes dirtier and dirtier to where God's light will not be able to penetrate into our lives. Paul will say in Titus chapter 1, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They become seared like a hot iron, so sinned against, no longer sensitive to right and wrong. It can become evil, poisoned, approved uh, bad, accuses good or weak where we don't grow in spiritual knowledge. Conscience depends on the light coming from the window. As a believer studies the Word, he better understands the, world, the Word of God. He takes exor- it takes exercise to keep a conscience strong and pure. It is a true pursuit of Jesus Christ. It's Psalm 1 that says, Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or sit in the seat of mockers, or stand in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night, and he is transformed because he's a student. You and I are students of the Word of God. And so a good conscience gives us courage to stand because we are attached to God's Word. It gives us peace because we are able to face battles, and it removes fear of what other people might think about us. We don't care. We live in freedom. As we sang about earlier. So my, my encouragement, or my thought, is what's your light look like? And are you prepared for the darkness? Do you have batteries in your flashlight? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Be prepared. No matter the circumstances, Every person you meet is an opportunity to bring the light of Jesus, to show them the steps. And we bring the light of Jesus in real, authentic relationships.
We live in hope. We bring the Lord Jesus' presence into the room. And we can be at peace. Your good behavior will bring light. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for meeting us here. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit's presence in this room, bringing light and transforming us so that we might be more like Jesus as we leave this place, that we will bring the kingdom of Jesus into this world that is not our enemy, but people that you love. In Jesus' name, amen.